Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. The city had no need for the sun, Fox 
talks about something new that is going to take place. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Something new. A new heaven and a new earth. Now, the new heaven that is being referred to here is not present heaven. This is, could be more properly interpreted, a new sky. A new atmosphere, a new part where we can see the stars and, and all of that. And a new earth. These things are going to disappear and there's going to be a new earth, a new atmosphere is going to be purged and purified because we have polluted it beyond usableness of God for his final purpose. A place where he is going to provide eternity for those who love him, who are saved. It's going to be an earth that will be cleansed on this earth, there is not going to be any more oceans. All land. There won't be the rivers and all the things that we now know. That will be in the past. Even the atmosphere is going to be purified, and I think it certainly even refers to the stars being changed. In that we, we have polluted space so badly that the Lord will have to clean it up as well. There's going to be a, a new a newness, a new earth. And it is upon this earth that we find, now over to the 23rd verse, that there is going to be a new city identified as the new Jerusalem that's going to come from God out of heaven down to earth. And here in the 23rd verse, it says that this city will not have any need for the sun or for the moon. Now you may well recall, I'm sure you do, back in the first chapter of Genesis, in the 15th through the 18th verses, of that chapter, that when God created the earth, that he made the sun and the moon for specific purposes. The sun was to have dominion over the day, the moon was to rule the night. And now, in the final uh, book of the Bible, we find out that these will no longer exist, for there is going to be no need of a body to give light to the day and another one to give light tonight, to the night because this new establishment, new city upon the new earth is going to be lighted by, in verse 23, the glory of God. 
All through the scripture, we find a tremendous contrast between light and dark. Whenever this contrast is to be made, we find the scripture referring to God or to the Lord or to the angels or something having to do with God and his relationship to man as being light. When the angels made the announcement of the birth of Christ to the shepherds, it was the glory of God that shined. There was light, not from the moon, but from, from God himself. And so we see that there is a definite change in the makeup of this new place that we shall live. And it is lighted by the Lord. The opposite side is darkness, always being referred to as uh, the depths or the pits or our outer darkness or something that has to do with eternal damnation, eternal destruction, dealing with Satan. All has the idea of, of darkness. So we're beginning to see that in this new creation, there's not going to be any darkness, either from light or even from deed. All things will be open and revealed, and it is the glory of God that will lighten it. And notice, the glory of God that lightens this new city is identified as the Lamb. That is, Jesus himself will be that light that shines in the city. All right. You may even remember, I may refer to this a little bit later, that when Moses came down off of the mountain after he had received the Ten Commandments, he was shining because he had been the presence of God. And God required him when the Lord passed by that he had to hide his face in a, in a uh, crevice in the rock because Moses could not possibly look upon God and live. No man on earth can. And I'm going to come back to that thing at the end of the message. Now, look at verse 24. When he says that the nation that is all peoples which are saved shall walk in the light of what? In the light of the Lord. All peoples who are saved are going to walk in the light. Back in the Gospel of John, in chapter 3, are some interesting words that come from the same author, God inspired, as we have here in the book of Revelation. In chapter 3, we notice the words of the Lord, beginning in verse 18. He says, He that believeth on him, that is upon Christ, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the only begotten, in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then verse 19, this is the condemnation. Here's why men are condemned. 
that light is common to the world. And men love darkness rather than light because the deeds were evil. And everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Anybody who wants to do bad, to do sin, to do evil, is going to try to hide it. We don't want anybody to know about it. We're going to do it in secret if we possibly can. And we would all have to admit that in our record somewhere, if we have not sought forgiveness for it, are those sins that we have tried to cover up. And every once in a while pop out. We want to bury them in darkness because they won't stand the light. They cannot stand up to Jesus Christ. The redeemed in that new city are going to walk out boldly right in present daylight because everything they do, think, and say are going to be capable of being revealed. That's not true now. This is a future thing. It's going to happen. 1 John 1.7 says, you don't need to turn there unless you just want to, this is the same John who wrote Revelation, the same who wrote the Gospel. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sin. If we walk in the light. We don't walk in the light. That now, as we ought. That's why the if is there. If we were living as we ought, our, our lives would be an open book and we could stand the scrutiny of uh, Jesus' criticism or, or checking our lives. We can't do that now. If, but if we did, we would walk in the light. The point is, what I'm trying to make is, the day is coming when our lives will be totally open and revealed. And, we'll be, and when we won't be trying to hide we will have gone beyond the point of trying to hide our sins and our lies and all those things that, that are about us. Now, who gets into this new city? Verse 27, chapter 21 of Revelation tells us who's going to get in. Notice who's not going to get in. There shall in no wise enter into it the New Jerusalem. Anything that defiles, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Those things, and that covers all sins, those are three categories, it probably covers every one of them. Defiling, abominable, and lies. None of that will get in but who will get in? They which are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's all. The issue is not, were you a good little boy and girl while upon earth? Were you nice and kind and gentle and sweet and did you go to church 
And did you read your Bible and were you baptized and were you a member of the Alabama Baptist Church? None of those questions are here. None of them. Did you pay your taxes and obey the policeman and always drive 55 miles an hour and all the none of that stuff's here? There's only one issue. And why is it that people cannot see there's only one issue? That is, have you had your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? If it's there, that's the key to the entering into this New Jerusalem. And why it is that some churches want to preach about the necessity of baptism and church membership and all those things, those are important. And we should not minimize those, and I don't think that, that we do at all. It is important that we are good and moral and upright and just and honest. It is important that we're baptized. It is very important that we belong to a church. But those are not the things that makes the difference as to whether or not you become a person who walks down the streets of the New Jerusalem. The only way a person sets his foot in New Jerusalem is to have a name written in the record. And that's all. Only the redeemed will walk those streets. So we come to the question of salvation and the, uh, the question is what must I do to be saved? And the answer is very simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And it is that question that people want to reject and, and say that that answer can't possibly be true. For me to be saved, I must do this, 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 and this. And it doesn't work that way. I've had people tell me, as soon as I get my life straightened out and get all my problems solved, then I'll become a Christian. It doesn't work that way. The issue is be saved now and let the Lord help you in the solving of all his problems. All right, let's go on to another point. I want you to notice in, uh, in chapter 21, back at verse 4 now, something about this new city He says in verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. But he doesn't stop there. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. No death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. All of that is gone forever. That's the nature of no many funerals. A lot of preachers went through a lot of business because there won't be anything to do. No funerals. All of this is gone. Now, go to first verse the 22nd chapter.
He showed me a pure river of water, of life, clean as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. There are two essential things for life.
took it flow out of the individual. She doesn't comprehend that. But he was talking about something. And that is, in this city, there is going to be a river of flowing water that is clean as crystal can be, no impurities in it at all. But where does it proceed from? It proceeds out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Water is necessary for life. Eternal water, flowing water, water of life is necessary for eternal life. Now, look at the next verse. In the midst of the street of it, in the midst of Jerusalem, and on either side of the river, more than just one single tree we're going to see here, was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruit, and yielded her fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I tell you, there's some stuff in this. I hope you get it. When was the last time you heard of the tree of life? As far as I know, this is the only place in the New Testament where we have the phrase. You've got to have to go clear back to Genesis. In the very beginning, in chapter 2, we find that there were two trees in the Garden of Eden that were referred to. One was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the other was the tree of life. And God said to Adam and Eve, now all of the trees of the Garden, and there were others, you may eat of, except one. You may not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't tell them not to eat of the tree of life. He only told them not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that's where Satan comes in and tempts them and they eat of that tree and suddenly they now know that they have sinned. They know they're naked and all, all that, that, that story. Now that's, I don't want to get into that. There's no need of it here. But the Lord put Adam and Eve out of the garden and put angels to protect it, the tree of life, with the statement, lest they eat of the tree and live forever. And he did not want them living forever after they had sinned. That's the protection of the tree of life. Now there are some places in Proverbs that that tree is referred to, but there's also a place in Ezekiel, chapter 47. I think we need to go back to Ezekiel 47. It's interesting, the, the statement in Ezekiel 47, and here in, the, uh, in Revelation, Ezekiel 47 and verse 12, By the river upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that side. Notice that the revelation said that the tree of life was on both, on each side of the river. Here in Ezekiel, the tree of life is on this side and on that side, shall grow all trees for meat, that is for food, 
waters, they issue out of the sanctuary, out of the house of God, out of the throne of God, that's what the word sanctuary means, and the fruit thereof shall be for meat, and the leaf thereof for medicine. Three words are used in this verse dealing with the tree of life. Water, food, and medicine. And here we have in Revelation that John saw a tree. He's talked about a river that he sees flowing that comes from the very throne of God. Ezekiel said it came from the sanctuary. And now Ezekiel says that the tree will grow on both sides of the river. In other words, they're plenteous. Revelation says that there are going to be the tree of life on each side of the river. And Ezekiel said that it was going to be for food. And Revelation says that it's going to bear 12 manner of fruit and yield her fruit each month. There's going to be a different fruit on that tree every month. And Revelation says that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, that's quite interesting to me, at least. Uh, maybe I'm telling you more than you want to know about this, but stay with me. In the New Jerusalem, there is going to be a river, there's going to be a tree of life for food, and the leaves of that tree are going to be used for medical purposes, for healing. In that city, there won't be illnesses, crippling diseases, and all of those things that we are now exposed to. That will all be done away. For people will partake of the water, of the fruit, and of the leaves that God has provided for an eternity. And there will be none of this. Medicine comes off the tree of life. Perfect health. The restoration of health. The prevention of sickness, these will be used for that purpose. You will find back in verse 4 of chapter 21 again that it talked about not only death was going to be done away with and sorrow was going to be done away with and there would be no crying uh, as we think of it in terms of death. But he also points out the fourth thing that will not be in the city is no pain. You don't have any. It's forbidden. Pain comes a result as a result of sin. Sin now has been done away with. Now, another thing that we need to look at that will not be in the city, which we find in verse 3 of chapter 22. There will be no more curse. Do you remember when the curse was laid down? Back in Genesis again, we have to go. When uh, Eve took of the fruit that was offered by Satan and ate it, and we say she ate the apple, and she handed the apple to her husband and he ate, and God comes to look for them, and they are hiding behind the trees and had made little aprons for themselves to hide their nakedness and finally came out shamedly and uh, very... Uh, uh, much like a whipped puppy, and stood before God and said, we were 
afraid to come out because we were naked. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of the tree that I told you you couldn't eat of? And Eve said, or Adam said first, Adam said, that woman did it. She gave it to me. Her fault. And Eve said, that snake did it. He told me to eat of it. It's his fault. But let me tell you, it makes no difference whose fault it was. The snake, the serpent, was condemned for eternity. Eve was condemned to bear children in, in pain. And Adam was condemned by having the ground cursed. Here's the point I want to make. There was a curse placed upon the ground in the book of Genesis. It's not been relieved yet. It will be relieved. In the new Jerusalem, there will be no more curse. The ground now will not have thorns and thistles. The ground will be good. One other thing I want you to notice. I have two other things. I lied. Not quit. Verse 4. Chapter 22. They, that is the occupants of the city, shall see his face. Whose face? I think he's talking about the face of God, not just Jesus our Savior. And his name shall be in their forehead. See his face. You remember back when Job was having all his trouble? You go back to Job chapter 19, verse 26. You'll find that Job is talking about the time when he would no longer be alive upon earth. And this is quoted many times at funerals, and I've done it. He said, in my flesh I shall see God. Now we know that it is impossible, according to Moses' experience, particularly, for anybody in this world to look into the face of God and live because we cannot stand the brilliance of God, it would kill us. Moses had to hide his eyes when God passed by on top of Mount Horeb. He had to hide his eyes. We cannot now see him. But if I understand this scripture and understand what Job said when he was making his comment, the day will come in the new city when we are the occupants of it that we're going to be able to look at God in the face. Because we'll be devoid of all sin, we'll be cleansed and purified, we'll stand there uncondemned totally. The last point, verse 5, and there shall be no night there. No night. You don't need a candle. You don't need the light of the sun. Why? Because the Lord God gives the light. I think this, this is not intended to be a description of heaven. This is intended to be a description of the New Jerusalem. But my concept of heaven fits this exactly. I may be wrong, and I'm not trying to advocate uh, anything else, but I do believe that there is no need of any night in heaven one of the things that I think about when, when I think of heaven is that there is 24 hours, in my terms, of light. No 
need to go to sleep. Don't get tired. There isn't a need to lay down and take a rest. We, in that case, are all perfect and are there to serve the Lord Jesus. I often think of Lynn in these terms. But while I'm asleep, she's awake. She hasn't closed an eye since. And she's up there, no doubt, singing in, in the choir. Completely free of all of the innovations and weaknesses and frailties of this life. She has eaten from the tree. She has dropped from the water. And she has used the leaves to purify her body. Well, the Lord has done it for her. right. No darkness. And what does it say is going to happen? We're going to rain forever and ever. Eternity does not end. When you and I began our journey with the Lord Jesus, whenever that day was that you accepted the Lord as your Savior, you began an eternal life. There's going to be a change in it. Because you and I are now limited by our physical capabilities, by the frailties of human life brought about, the frailties brought about by Adam's sin in the garden. And they were passed on to us. And then we complicated by adding our own sins to it, by willfully uh, sinning. But our sinful nature has placed us in a position of tremendous frailty. But, the day is coming, and that's all over. And we will be perfect, living in a place that God has prepared for us, on a new earth, a new city will be set up on it, that will be our home. In the middle of that city will be the throne of God, and of Jesus his Son, and the sun will be the light that will brighten the whole thing. And we'll walk in and out, totally free to go and come as we please with no fears. And never hide another thing in our life. We won't have to. Because we are in the presence of God and his son and sin has been done away with. Never to deface the earth again. What God started in the garden of Eden all complete in the new earth. He started and gave man the choice. Man said, I want nothing to do with it. I want to see him. He made a provision for redemption. He gave his only son so we could live. And those who choose his son as their savior will live in that state of perfection. Drinking of the water goes out from the front of God, eating from the trees he had provided along the river banks of that huge river. For all the frailties that we have ever had, we'll take off the leaves and have perfect health. That's the God we serve, who's providing completeness for us, perfection for us, in the eternity of eternity. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.